Excuse me. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at season four, episode six, I Loathe a Parade, in which <laughs> Daria accidentally finds herself at the Lawndale High Homecoming Night... Wait... Homecoming Night Parade. <laughs> is it Homecoming Night Parade or is it? Homecoming it's probably just, they called it the Homecoming Night Parade, but it's probably just okay to say the Homecoming Parade. <laughs> it just sounds weird, right? Yeah, the Homecoming Night Parade. <laughs> Depending on where you put the emphasis, it's actually a really awesome parade. <laughs> oh dear. Well, you know. I I am thinking along the lines of night circus, night parade. So naturally, I'm going to put the emphasis on night here, but I'm going to drop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping all of that in. All right. Awesome. So Daria accidentally <laughs> finds herself at the Lawndale High Homecoming Parade, then accidentally finds herself chaperoning Tad Gupti from like, a bajillion episodes ago, then accidentally finds herself hanging out with Jane's boyfriend for the entire day. So there's that. <laughs> the episode aired on April 7th, 2000, and was written by Dan Weber. That's actually with a V and not a W. Um, and Dan Weber's only previous episode was Jacob Hart's. That episode currently sits at a respectable number 18 in our rankings. I guess we just hop right into our beat by beat. Let's do it. Yeah. Enthusiasm. Woo! Uh, we open on Daria watching television. She's interrupted by Quinn, who's looking for one of her magazines, and Helen, who's looking for Jake. Both of them independently realize Daria is not going to be much help, and they team up on their pursuits. Daria, meanwhile, hears a distressed Jake calling from upstairs. He's stuck in the bathroom, which isn't to say the door won't open or anything so much as to say he has obliterated the place only to find <laughs> out there's no toilet paper. <laughs> Uh, with no toilet paper remaining in the downstairs bathroom either, Jake implores Daria to run to the store and grab some. She leaves, and we learn the tragic fate of Quinn's magazine. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, that it's just in there with him? <laughs> I mean, I think that's pretty unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> she can't use that magazine again. <laughs> Well, we would hope not, but I mean, she doesn't know, so... Yeah, that doesn't make it better. That's how you get pink eye. <laughs> it's not great. Ew. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had pink eye earlier this year because toddlers are gross, and yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember if I had pink eye when I was a kid. I must have had pink eye when I was a kid because everyone, every kid gets it. Yeah, every, everybody gets it at some point. Dude, I did not 
remember how terrible it was. Like, <laughs> oh my God, pink eye is awful. <laughs> I mean, there were various other things going on with me. So I was just miserable, but like pink eye is bad. <laughs> Yeah. And I should say that like my toddler didn't just like, I don't know, touch me and give me pink eye. He had pink eye already. <laughs> yeah. These, I mean, these things, these things happen. That's how pink yeah. eye works. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm gross apparently. <laughs> Everybody's gross. That's the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the problem we're in right now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, <laughs> back to uh, the scene. <laughs> so we don't talk very much about Six Ad World anymore, which is kind of a yeah. shame. Um, mm-hmm. But this episode opens on probably one of my favorite bits. <laughs> <laughs> Can you teach an old dog to turn tricks? <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Canine call girls on the next Six Ad World. I love it. I could that was, be a, a, that was a very jock. good six ad world, yeah. <laughs> Nissa Lee shock jock would be an absolutely <laughs> astounding career turn. <laughs> There's also um, Jake references the <laughs> he blames at least some of his current predicament on <laughs> the heart smart chili that he's been eating, which is a nice little reference to the previous Dad Vepper episode. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a little confused about Jake's situation. (laughs) (laughs) So, so was I. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you were confused because you thought he was using the magazine as a toilet paper alternative. (laughs) Yes. So my, so my thing was, he was like, all that's in here is the magazine and it only has 32 pages. And to me, I was like, oh, okay. Well, the physical construct of the magazine (laughs) being 32 pages is an issue for this man who needs paper. (laughs) So, (laughs) so clearly like one plus one equals two and he's, (laughs) but then I was like, oh my God, it's 32 pages. What happened in there? Like (laughs) how bad could the situation be? And then of course, at the very end of the episode, he reveals that he's or at, the, or at some point he reveals that he's reading the magazine. Yes. <laughs> and that, for me, that was, uh, you know, everybody else in the world was like, yeah, he's reading the magazine. And to me, it was like, oh. Yeah. You're gross. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind just went there. But no. <laughs> I don't think that glossy magazine is going to do much for him. <laughs> well, that's why he needs 32 pages. <laughs> it's way too slippy. <laughs> Way too slippy. Gross. Okay. Um, But like even beyond that, like there are no toilet paper alternatives in the house aside from the magazine. Like no tissues, no paper towels. No, nothing? (laughs) Really? I mean, (laughs) maybe they're being environmentally conscious. Uh... (laughs) Maybe. I mean, even even with their past, I think that <laughs> yeah. there's there's got to be a paper towel somewhere. There's got to right? be something. Yeah, you figure. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like, I could I could see him at some point being like, 
Daria's never coming home. My legs are asleep. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm getting up and finding some paper. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't. He just sits there. Yeah. I mean, that's Jake, right? Like, it's, oh. Would you expect anything else? As my aunt would say, bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Also, Jake says at some point, how in hell would Helen handle this? And then he's like, oh, maybe that's one of those backward and forwards things. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not. Not even close. Nope. And, it, and if anyone was wondering, one of those backwards and forwards things is called a palindrome. It's not a palindrome. But, you know, it is quite alliterative. How it is. in hell would Helen handle this? <laughs> right. That's it's got that it's got that rhythm to it. It's very nice. And it's got the H's. Yeah. H. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're, this, this episode's gonna be five hours long. Uh, <laughs> well, get me talking about alliteration and you know. <laughs> uh friggin' nerd. Uh <laughs> It's not the first time today that someone has called me that. (laughs) Uh, Off to the drugs and stuff we go where anything by Jay-Z plays as Daria purchases the toilet paper and grows suspicious of the enormous crowds both inside and outside of the store. Turns out it's homecoming night. This is how in touch with everything Daria is. And everybody's gathering to check out the parade, which it turns out is in full swing as Daria exits the store. The band is playing John Philip Sousa's When the Saints Go Marching In as Daria worms her way to the front of the crowd and is then almost killed by a piece of the Londale Lions parade float. <laughs> in the middle of ducking away and running for her life, she runs smack into Jane and her camera, who captures the moment for generations to come. The two ask each other what they're doing here, and Jane reveals she was supposed to be meeting Tom, but he's nowhere to be found. Well, this is quite a carnival, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That parade float. <laughs> it's it's just terrifying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In both the 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 quality of its construction and the thing it is trying to depict. Yeah. Lawndale really doesn't shy away from the violence <laughs> in oh. their depictions of the football mascots. I mean, the window mural um that the art students are painting. Uh, depicts the Lawndale lion clawing the penguin to death. And then (laughs) the float shows um, a football player ripping the head off of a penguin. (laughs) So much blood. So much. uh, And then the penguin's lower beak falls off. Yes. Unintentionally. (laughs) Unintentionally. Unintentionally. And and that's what almost hits Daria. Um, but like that reminded me, um, this is complete, complete derailment, but that bit reminds me of the scene <laughs> what, what, in what? the golden <laughs> compass. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we're we're just going there tonight. Um, <laughs> so the scene in the golden compass, the movie, um, 
when the ice bears are battling and Yorick Bernison literally knocks the jaw off his of his opponent. Oh my god. <laughs> I've watched some gory things, you know, like without blinking, but wow, that made my stomach turn. It makes it turn every time. <laughs> I just yeah. can't watch it. <laughs> something, something about jaw stuff is like inherently unsettling. Like there's uh-huh. a um did you see the the Suspiria remake that came out like a year ago? I haven't seen either Suspiria oh, and and like I know I need to. <laughs> yes. Um so I mean I I guess you know I saw like mixed reviews I guess for the remake. I happened to love it. I also watched it in an absolutely bizarre. So I went to see it. I I went like I went alone because I, I knew it wouldn't be Sheila's jam. Uh, but uh, so I went to see it and I was like one of maybe 10 people in the theater and the, it starts up and there are subtitles at the bottom, which I mean, you know, like it takes place in, in a foreign country. So you're like, all right, cool, whatever. But then you realize, I realized the subtitles were in Spanish. <laughs> so, so I watched <laughs> Suspiria <laughs> with, in English with Spanish subtitles in a theater. <laughs> and it was, it was oh, so wow. surreal because it took me forever to be like, no, they didn't actually mean to do this. <laughs> there's, there's no way this was like, th- there's no way that this was intentional. Somebody screwed up somewhere along the lines here in the theater and not out in the actual world where they produced this thing. Wow. And, you know, even if I hadn't had that suspic- suspicion by then, then certainly it would have been, uh, certainly would have been confirmed when I, I exited the theater and like the manager was there handing out free, uh, free movie cards to, to everybody <laughs> who left on it. it. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I am so sorry. I was like, dude, it just improved the, it improved the experience. Yes. Um, yeah. It just made it more weird. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. So I, no, I totally- no, 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 that's okay. My, I wanted to say that, um, down at the crossroads, my friend's podcast, which I was on for one episode, um, they talking about the witch, talking about the witch. Yes, um, so that was for their movie club, and they also talked about Suspiria. So I listened, and the the older Suspiria. I think they did a new the new one as well, but I listened mm-hmm. to the um, the epi- their episode about the old one. So I know what it's about. Like I've been walked through it. <laughs> oh man, it's it's. I just need to see it. <laughs> it's good. It's deeply unsettling. But anyway, the the thing that brought me to that was there's a um, there's a scene where I'm, I'm not going to spoil too much, but there's a scene where somebody is basically like contorted to death, and one of the one of the aspects of that is their jaw just gets like pulled very slowly to the side. From ah. like, yeah, it is brutal to watch, and it is. Yeah, there were there were a lot of things in that in that movie that made me cringe, but that was the only thing that made me like recoil in my seat to watch. Um, <laughs> jaw stuff, man, it's fucked up. Yeah, I'm glad you got back around to that because I completely forgot why we got on this tangent. Yeah, th- this is going to be one of those episodes, guys. <laughs> I'm probably going to leave a lot of this in. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it dawned on me as I was going through this, uh, uh, going through the the beat by beat for this episode that. Homecoming may not necessarily be like a thing that happens in other countries. Oh, and apparently it's it's like 
to some extent it does in other countries, but they have like different names for it or whatever. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with the tradition, homecoming is an event typically held once a year by colleges and high schools, which is grades nine through 12 uh, throughout the United States. Um, schools will invite their alumni to return to campus and get involved in like parties and, and, you know, they'll have dances and stuff. There's all sorts of celebrations, uh, including, yes, parades. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a tradition that's frequently centered around like one of the school's holiday season American football games. Uh, I think for us, it's typically around Thanksgiving. So like end of end of November ish. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting little tradition. and, And it, you know, it did not dawn on me that that would be not necessarily uniquely American, but maybe in just like in name. Right, right. Yeah, that that's a really good point. <laughs> just kind of, you know, blinded by our own culture. <laughs> Speaking of which, um this is a flimsy segue, but I did want to mention <laughs> the art teacher's line when she's um coaching her students about the mural. She goes In focusing so intently on my subject, have I neglected my negative space? (laughs) (laughs) And like, I listened to that and I listened to it several times (laughs) and I thought, this feels important. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there is some kind of metaphor here. Like, you know, is this Jane's failing? Is this Daria's <laughs> failing? Are they a bit, I don't know, myopic in some respects or, you know, hyper-focused and so they disregard other people's feelings or don't recognize that they're there? I don't know. Maybe they're both guilty of this, but is it, it's yeah, is just it? something to chew on <laughs> with your intact jaw. but only with your intact jaw do not use your debilitated jaw no (laughs) man if that is if that is intentional foreshadowing in this episode that is maybe as (laughs) that's maybe as complex of the writer as the writers have gotten in this entire show's run totally (laughs) but i may give him credit yeah (laughs) Uh, so we get a little bit of B-plot gang drama as Brittany, while leading the cheerleaders, uh, spots Kevin atop the football team float getting way too friendly with the designated football sweetheart, which is, I, as far as I know, that's not a thing, but whatever. Um, well, not, not around where we grew up. <laughs> no, no. Uh, he's distracted from his rather gross handling of the situation by his teammates, reminding him they're supposed to be throwing candy at the crowd. They wing said candy way too hard, of course, and the resulting mass casualty event is enough to convince Daria that it's time to head home. She tries, but is stopped by Ms. Lee, who can't let Daria cross the parade route. Right off the bat, ew to the way that Kevin is acting with this other cheerleader. Yeah. Ew. Ew, Kevin. His, yeah. I will say his explanation of there being, quote, elected officials and thus, uh, <laughs> this being quote manifold destiny <laughs> is pretty good. Um, it's awesome that he he like knows the word manifold, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> kind of. Uh, yeah, 
it, it's it's one of those things that's like it's fantastic as a line, but then you start thinking about the actual concept and the implications of what he's saying, and it's like, uh, uh, uh. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Because if we if we really really want to dive into this, there are like lots of gross and horrifying implications of powerful men referring to their touching of an unwilling woman as manifest destiny. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to a lot to dive into there. We're not we're not gonna go there no. right now but no let's not let's not but manifold that. destiny fucking killed me <laughs> to to dive a little deep into something else uh, and again another tangent um when misley impedes daria's progress and says she can't let a spectator cross a parade route daria's response is yeah isn't that how world war one got started which is a reference to the parade in which Serbian assassins tried to kill Archduke Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne. They failed during the parade itself, but during its escape, <laughs> but during its escape, Ferdinand's vehicle would find itself in front of a Bosnian Serb named Gabriel Princip, who shot Ferdinand and his wife Sophie to death, which was the first in a long and complex chain of events that would set off World War I and shape the entirety of the century to follow. If only we had a Misley. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, you know, at least with Misley, you know, or, you know, <laughs> at least in history, <laughs> neither the Archduke nor Daria got sexually harassed by a clown, as Misley was, was afraid of. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think. A fear of clowns is a perfectly healthy and reasonable thing. Yes. Yeah. I'm putting that out there in the universe. I think the universe agrees with you. I hope so. And yet, it still produces clowns. Well, the universe has a wicked sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After a brief interaction with what appears to be Mr. O'Neill in the Lawndale Lion mascot costume, uh, Daria notices Miss Lee is gone and she is about to cross the parade route, but then she hears crying. She spots the young Tad Gupti all the way from season one's pinch sitter. He got distracted by a toy store and lost his parents. He asks Daria for help and she can't turn down a crying child. So it looks like we're going to be at this parade for a while. It's a hard knock life by Jay-Z plays as we end act one. That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of Jay-Z in this episode, actually. So did you know that it was Mr. O'Neill in the mascot costume on this first interaction? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. It's it was the the voice was like just similar enough. Uh okay. but it wasn't it it like you know how there are some voices in the show where you can tell, okay, that's the same actor or actress who handled, you know, so and so's voice. Um it was a little bit more similar than that. I don't know. There's something there's this kind of like breathiness to to Mr. O'Neill. It's a little bit weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I maybe I wasn't paying enough attention because I was just like, this is an aggressively weird stranger. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like aggressively weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, uh, I'll, I'll make a note of Daria um, <laughs> Daria asking Tad, hey, did you think about going to the police? And Tad's response saying, my dad says police officers too often use excessive force in their quest for pacification. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
given the events of the past you know week and a half two weeks this topic has yet again been on all our minds um not that it ever really left our minds over the past you know six months at the very least but but yeah a a nice little window in there to the gupti family and their oddly woke nature (laughs) i mean isn't that kind of what the guptis are like (laughs) it's like when woke went wrong, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're just a little too aware of some things and it's just ruined their children. <laughs> yeah. They're just like trying, they're trying way too hard. Um, I think in this case, great instincts. Totally on point there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, when you're, when you're at the point to where you're referring to, to raisins as nature's candy, then- then you're Rob Press. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all right. <laughs> they're delicious. They're tiny. They're delicious. No, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I always have raisins in stock. <laughs> Hell yeah. Raisinettes, so good. Uh, <laughs> also, just one little note. Good on Daria for taking on the responsibility of helping Tad find his parents. I like, I like when we see her moments of conscience and like how you know, it like drags her kicking and screaming to do the right thing. And it's, you know, it's such a simple thing, but when you consider the, so much of the surface level talk about Daria as a character and as a show is very sort of nihilistic and, and it, it insists that she doesn't really care about anything and that she's super disengaged with everything and she doesn't care about a lot and she is disengaged to a large extent, but we have so many examples in this show of of her actually giving a shit, uh, and and it's always nice when it crops up. It's always a little bit reaffirming, right? And we probably would have hated her if she was given this challenge and decided not to accept it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be a that'd be a heel turn. <laughs> yeah, I think what it comes down to is that you know Daria being. Daria being apathetic or, or, you know, disengaged from a large part of the world is, has a lot to do with the, the, you know, the privilege and the, like, you know, the ridiculousness of that privilege in, in that world. And, and so, you know, she comes up against, you know, this moment where a child who is, let's face it, you know, part of a disadvantaged group, right? <laughs> um, you know, is is in trouble. She's going to do something about it in the same way that, like, you know, she listens to Jody um, and, you know, is there. Yeah. So it's 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 in line with her code. Uh, so, uh, Daria is guiding Tad through the parade when they have an unfortunate run-in with Upchuck, who's driving... <sighs> okay, Upchuck is driving <laughs> a bright pink convertible with Love Machine painted on the side, uh, two sexily dressed mannequins in the back seat, and a banner that says Lawndale Swingers. Yeah. So, let's, uh, let's marinate in that one for a little bit. Um... Also, the horn is the first few notes of Also Sprach Zarathustra, which is ah! a reference. <laughs> I, 
It's a reference to his use of the song in his multimedia presentation from Jane's edition. Uh, and I am convinced just a seed planted by the writers to make sure that I would have to try and pronounce that damn title again. <laughs> um, Good job. It's so bad. Uh, normally we'd save that discussion for a scene break, but I needed to dive into this. <laughs> uh, so Daria shrugs off up Chuck, the remarkable little dipshit that he is only to immediately run into Tom. And it turns out he actually is here without Jane. Uh, turns out Jane told Tom to meet her in front of the drugstore, but he thought she meant the other drugstore. So simple misunderstanding. Uh, Daria and Tom share a joke about Pol Pot, the <laughs> Cambodian dictator who killed millions of people, which gets a smile out of Daria because, of course, um, Daria introduces Tad to Tom, who offers to tag along. Daria declines, but Tad insists, and so this unlikely trio begins their trek back to the drugs and stuff. And it's the weirdest thing, but Daria and Tom seem to be getting along. Hmm. Interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, let's go back to Upchuck's car. <laughs> <laughs> always. Let's always go back to Upchuck's car. Because I need to point out that the front of Upchuck's car is sporting two sorts of bullhorns. The one of <laughs> the megaphone variety, actually two of them, <laughs> and, and one of the cattle variety. So... But, <laughs> Beneath the actual bull's horns at the front of the car is the word horny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a work of art. What can I say? But Tad, who finds joy in stealing other children's candy when <laughs> it's thrown in the parade, um, he really shouldn't take any candy that gets thrown from that car, no, especially no, no, considering no. the stains on that yeah, seat. Yeah, <laughs> those are that. Those aren't candy. That's just roofies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, also, we should. We, we should defend the honor of young Tad Gupti. He is he is not uh, reveling in being able to steal candy from others. He's reveling in taking the candy so that they don't end up getting cavities. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what an angel. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, like, I both hate and love this character so much. <laughs> He's just so, so ridiculous and so fun. I mean, he gets lost because he wants to look at the windmill in the shore, in the store window because it's such a clean source of energy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. There, so I really, I guess I, I didn't spend, I don't spend enough time in the B by B talking about this, but I think Dan Weber did a really good job <laughs> with a lot of this. Like this mm -hmm. is this was this is not an easy episode to write um because there there are some pretty big things that need to be accomplished here which we'll get into. And you have a lot of characters here and they all get handled pretty well. Like everything just kind of works. Uh I'm you know, I'm impressed by it so far. I continue to be impressed by it pretty much through the end, but but we'll get into that 
you know, more uh, a little bit down the line, but he nailed Ted Gupti. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is really good. And and I like the way that he is writing Daria and Tom as well. Yes. They, you know, they're, they're working well together here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a moment where it kind of falls apart just a little bit. Uh, a little bit. End, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's done well. Like there, it, there's a natural flow to this and it's pretty cool. Jokes about Pol Pot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, I call my Penny, my Penny, my Beagle, (laughs) (laughs) whose name is Penny. I call her Penny Pot because she's a little dictator. (laughs) (laughs) She's so good. You guys, you guys haven't seen Penny. You should see Penny. Penny is like, Penny is 50 pounds of dog in like a 10 pound bag. (laughs) (laughs) She's gotten thinner. She's, she's, she's not she was never 50 pounds. But. She, she's, she's so compact. She has the density of a dying star. She's yeah. Like, yeah. She really does. <laughs> she's, she's so good, though. It's my favorite dog on the planet. I freaking love Penny so much. <laughs> yeah. I love her, too. But she's a little dictator. (laughs) And sometimes, and she's just, she's just getting like more like weird and aggressive as she gets older. Like not like aggressive, (laughs) aggressive, but like she's just like stealing Watson's food from him, like right in front of him now. Like (laughs) she's never done that before. She'll like, (laughs) and she'll, She'll um she'll bark at us um to get our attention and we we have to like guess like what is it that you want? Oh, well maybe you're hungry and you want a treat. So that gets Watson out of the spot that she wants to sit in. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, I get a treat and my spot. <laughs> Score. Yeah, she's anyway, <laughs> cut all that. She's anyway (laughs) so we get a glimpse at the fashion club and their float both of which are appropriately decked out um sandy suggests as a way to endear themselves to the crowd and do more than just wave that they give some unfortunate individual from the crowd a makeover Uh, meanwhile as we cut back to daria and tom tom suggesting maybe to get a better view of the crowd uh, and find Tad's parents and Jane. They should hop a float to get a better view. Uh, trouble brewing. Our trio make way to the fashion club float, an interaction both Daria and Quinn are dreading. They hop the float, and they don't even have a chance to look around before the fashion club, minus Quinn, sets on Daria like a pack of wolves on a three-legged cat. Uh, <laughs> Daria, oh hides, <laughs> Daria hides behind Quinn and demands she call her friends off. Uh, Things are already going downhill pretty quickly when Tad picks a fight with Sandy over the brand of hairspray she's using because it was tested on animals. Sandy and this small child get into a battle of wits before ultimately Daria makes the call for everybody who isn't in the fashion club to get the hell off the fashion club float. The plan abandoned. Our intrepid trio moves on. Wow. And, and, you know, Sandy is like vicious. (laughs) Her comeback is vicious. 
<laughs> she goes hard at this at this like nine year old. <laughs> uh, it's very good. I, I could I could watch that for a solid twenty minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so during this whole thing, uh, like during this scene, we get a quick cut over to Mac and Jody who have their own float um, because they are the homecoming king and queen. Uh, and they remark about how they're voted homecoming king and queen every year and how that totally makes up for the town's complete lack of diversity. Jody notes that this whole thing is intensely humiliating and we cut away right after that. And it just reminds me that I really cannot wait for Jody's show. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really good conversation and it continues and I just I love all of it. Yeah. Yeah. They they don't get they don't get a whole lot of time in this episode, but they make the most of it, uh, which is that's kind of the Jody story <laughs> throughout the entire run of Daria. It really is. Yeah. Which we'll talk about that a little bit in the in the cultural context, but kind of kind of wanted to see what a fashion clubified version of Daria would look like. I don't know if we assume that it maybe looks like something looks like something close to what we saw in Quinn the Brain. Maybe, but I mean, more importantly, I think would they undress her in front of everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I don't really think that they thought this whole makeover thing through. <laughs> no, 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 no they it's a rather didn't. slapdash plan. Yeah, I mean, like, do they have clothes for her? <laughs> I sincerely doubt it. No? I, did you notice that um, high school boys in togas are pulling their float? Yes, that was the three J's. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, oh, I couldn't get past the togas. <laughs> <laughs> it's very on brand for the three J's. I have no idea why it, why it's working that way for the fashion club, but it's very on brand for the three J's. Totally. Uh, freshly off the float, Daria has her second run in with the Lawndale lion mascot. He's pushy all over again, which Daria is again, not thrilled about. And then Tom steps in and violently shoves the mascot away. Daria and Tom share a little bit of a moment again, and he points out that she needs to see the hilarity in the horror show that is this parade. As if on cue, Brittany spots Kevin putting his hand on the football sweetheart's butt and instructs the cheerleading squad to head back against the parade's flow, which spooks the people driving the giant horrifying sculpture float from earlier in the episode into turning too quickly, which in turn tips the float and car over. The entire setup spontaneously combusts and then explodes. <laughs> Needless to say, Daria and Tom could not be happier. They share another moment, which, uh-oh. Uh, uh-oh. Yeah, and then they realize they've lost Tad, which, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and so we roll into the end of the second act with Apollo 440's Stop the Rock, uh, which just, you know, by the way, is a song you could not escape in the late 90s. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to say that while you were while you were reading this scene, I realized this is not the first time 
that we see a little swoon happen over some display of violence. Accurate, yeah. Which one are you thinking of in particular? <laughs> I was thinking of um, the new kid. Okay, yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, what is going on here? <laughs> well, what's going on with the Morgendorfer girls in general? Because remember, this is this is an established trait for Quinn. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's it, we've only seen it fleetingly with Daria, but now you know, now it's a thing, right? <laughs> Not sure how I feel about that. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, they like what they like, right? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird. It's a, it's a weird little commonality, uh, that violence doesn't tend to incur the consequences that maybe it should incur in this show. Right. Which we've, we've seen that time and time again, you know, we saw that with, God, I forget. I forget which exactly which episode it was, but we saw it with uh, Daria uh, <laughs> beating the crap out of Quinn at the end of one episode, which we only, yes. like we only heard that. We've seen it again with with so many of, of Quinn's, you know, so many of, of the people Quinn is involved with. As you mentioned, we saw it with with Daria and, and Ted. I don't know. It, it happens again and again and again, and yeah, it's it's. I guess part of part of the. Somewhere in the writer's room, there is a personality, and I, I would guess it would have to be, you know, if not Glenn Eichler, then somebody else similarly high up the chain who either inserts or okays that sort of thing over and over again without thinking right. too heavily about it. Yeah. And, and you know, while you were listing those, I, I, those moments, I realized like a lot of those moments are played for laughs. And yes. And like, I get that here, it's not necessarily played for a laugh as much as it is a tool to further the plot. So maybe, I don't know if that, I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's something, um, to, it's something to keep an eye on, you know, it, yeah. it's, you know, you put a pin in it and then every time it happens again, you say like, oh, well, okay, that's just, that's the trend. <laughs> right. Um, you see it once, you figure like, all right, you know, you'll let that slide, whatever. Or, or you say, all right, I'll make a note of that. Um, but you start to see it enough and you're like, no, this is, this is a philosophy that the show is, whether consciously or unconsciously, it is pushing. Right. And I think a lot of it is unconscious. Like, I think yeah, that, yeah. I, I think that it's not necessarily a, you know, commentary or like, um, I don't think it is an intentional move on the show's part. I think that this is more indicative of a larger cultural problem, um, you know, regarding, you know, toxic masculinity and all of that. Um, It's just that we're, we're a little more aware of it now. Right. Perhaps, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) So I have I have so many questions about this cheerleader induced parade float explosion, which which by the way is my new prog rock band. <laughs> um, <laughs> why why did Britney's instructions to disband <laughs> the group she was leading just involve like walking against the parade route? 
why do the people driving the float feel the need to swerve so hard when they were moving all of like five miles an hour? What no. caught fire in the float itself? Like, what happened here? I don't know. I mean, clearly the drivers were drunk and or high, right? Maybe. <laughs> it's believable. They they did not seem like the most engaged individuals. Yes. Maybe maybe they're just stupid. I don't know. <laughs> maybe everybody is stupid in this situation. <laughs> or just not thinking. <laughs> yeah. Like it's such a weird like the cheerleaders turn around, they start walking against the parade for, but the parade is going like 5 miles an hour. So it's like the it's like the scene in Austin Powers where the guy is standing in the path of the steamroller and he's just standing there going, no. And Austin yeah. Powers is driving the steamroller saying, just get out of the way. Just move to the side. <laughs> that's the second time someone has mentioned Austin Powers to me this week. I think that's a sign that I need to go back to Austin Powers. <laughs> oh, I'm, you know how we were talking about how stuff that, Stuff from our youth that might not age too well. Uh-huh. <laughs> I I have deep concerns about Austin Powers not aging well at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, I would love to. I I'm I'm surely going to find out at some point though. So maybe, maybe this should be a viewing party. <laughs> oh boy. Oh god. <laughs> we can all share in the in the horror and embarrassment. It'll be a mystery science theater. <laughs> Perfect with Austin Powers. <laughs> Uh, we also, we mentioned a little bit earlier that there is, uh, there is a moment where the interplay between Daria and Tom doesn't quite work. Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's here, uh, it's at this bit here where (laughs) Tom says to Daria, thanks for getting lost in the moment with me with sincerity. Like he means it. Yeah. And it's just, it's laid on so thick. There's no need for that. Like there, we get what's happening. Like you yeah. don't have to hit us in the head quite that hard with it. It's so 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 cheesy, yeah. and and I'm I'm just thinking, Daria, come on, where are the comebacks? Come on, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> and and that's part of the. I think that's part of what makes that moment hit a little bit harder in terms of like, oh, Jesus, that was over the top. Like it makes it stand out that much more because Daria doesn't have a retort for that. Like yeah. it, disarm- it disarmed her, right? Which means, you know, it, it, she's caught off guard in part because like this is this is new territory for her. Like there's clearly something that, that's working here. And, you know, it, it's that little just that little sentence from tom just like for a second everything just derails yeah (laughs) everything just goes completely batshit for a second yes it's Um, it's a combination i can't believe you just said something that cheesy with um i can't believe you just said that oh my god you're my best friend's boyfriend yeah what yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, and we don't, and I will say much as I don't like the line, I think the amount of time that we spend like focusing on it is just right because we get, you know, that split second 
and then we move on. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that we don't spend a whole lot of time sort of marinating in this this mood. Yeah. Yeah. But let's- it's, you know. <laughs> also, maybe let's not speak too soon, uh, given the second half of the season is still to come. We'll see how that goes. All right. Act three opens with Daria and Tom looking around for Tad. Uh, we then meet up again with Mac and Jody, who are now refusing to stand and wave from atop their float. Uh, they're actually considering just abandoning the whole float altogether when Jody spots a young black girl in the crowd looking on and waving, hopefully. Uh, Jody's struck by it, and her and Mac stand up and wave again. It's then that they notice Tom and Daria, who are only seconds away from running into Tad again, this time with his parents and sister. Turns out the problem kind of solved itself. Uh, they head off to watch the parade just in time for the Lawndale Lions mascot to complete his three-beat and show up to bother Daria once more. Uh, this time, though, he's in something of a panic. Uh, turns out the guy in the suit can't breathe. He collapses, and Daria pulls the head off the costume to reveal, as suspected, Mr. O'Neill. Yeah, maybe not a good idea for asthmatic Mr. O'Neill to wear that costume. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm he, I mean, he appeared pretty upbeat when we saw. Uh, we see him once more toward the end of the episode. He seemed pretty upbeat then. Um, but yeah, it, it's at the same time. Who else would you put in that costume? True. <laughs> he seems like such fair a enough. Fit. <laughs> Just you know, like open the open the breathing hole a little bit or something. On a, uh, a much more serious note, we're recording this only a, a few days after news broke of the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman, who's likely best known for playing Black Panther, uh, T'Challa, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, but who also portrayed Jackie Robinson in 42, James Brown in Get On Up, and Thurgood Marshall in Marshall. And the, the enormity of his contributions to telling the story of being black in America and to uh, promoting and showcasing the importance of representation in otherwise whitewashed media. You can't really overstate that. Uh, he was a tremendous talent. He was obviously gone way too soon. He was only 43. Um, I bring this up because it made this moment with Jody, where she spots a young black girl watching her on the parade float and is inspired to stand up again and keep waving and setting an example, it made that moment hit extra hard. Uh, and, you know, reminded me yet again, God damn, I cannot wait for Jody's show. Yeah. I, you know, I, I watched the episode before um, I heard the news of Bozeman's death. And, um, and even then, you know, I was like, Damn, that's a good moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I got a little, little choked up, you know, <laughs> but, but after that, and I, you know, I, I took another look at the episode and like, oh my, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's just kind of a, um, you know, just another moment and we have in which we have to recognize that you know, what we're watching does not exist in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and and I'm sure that there would probably be, you know, if you know, we were a bit more culturally aware when we were 
watching this in 2000, <laughs> you know, there would probably be people that would be thinking about it as well. Um, but this was, you know, it, it's really interesting to see how, um, you know, how the layers kind of, it kind of get put on to the show every time we watch it again, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally. And it, it's, you know, I've, I've said it before is one of the central tenets of this podcast. Like one of the reasons that, you know, I, I wanted to, to do this whole stupid thing was that, that this show still had a lot of really interesting stuff to say. And it still had, it still reflected upon, you know, society, you know, for better or for worse, society has not changed enough to make this show completely irrelevant. And, and this is just one of those moments where, you know, this this character of Jody is. It's painful that she is as ahead of her time as she is. <laughs> it should be better now. Things should be so much better, <laughs> and and they aren't. And so the things that she's saying, you know, two decades ago, are are still every bit as relevant. The things that she's doing, that she stands for, are still every bit as relevant. Like the struggles that she's dealing with the, you know, being a representative uh, of, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the cultural context, but um, it's, it's really something. And, you know, that, that moment watching this, because I, I I watched this episode again and and did the beat by beat uh, Saturday morning. So it was, you know, less than a day after the news broke. And yeah, there was just something, even more powerful about it and even even more relevant about it <laughs> it speaks to how something can be uh relatively timeless but in a really unfortunate way you know right i am i'm currently reading citizen uh an american lyric uh, which is a book by claudia rankine it's um it's a book that combines poetry and, you know, first person accounts and, you know, scripts from art installations, video art installations, all sorts of stuff, um, essays. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's about being black in America. Um, and the, it's very, it's a very striking cover. It has, um, just, um, the hood of a hoodie of a black hoodie on a white background. It's a, it's a really fantastic book. And she has an essay in, in this book where she, um, where she looks at Serena Williams career <laughs> and like the anger, you know, that she experiences, um, yeah you know, throughout her career at, you know, the blatantly racist calls on the tennis court, you know? (laughs) Um, and, um, it's, it's just so good, but, um, the, I guess what I'm trying to, um, say is that this, this book was published in 2014. Um, so well after, you know, what we're talking about with, with Daria, but, it's it's still every bit as relevant today yeah. as yep. it was then and she was and and she was writing like at you know the early stages of the black lives matter movement um and 
you know, to just see how much time has passed between this book and now and what has, what has happened is it's still even six years, you know, it feels like it should, (laughs) you know, things should have progressed, but. Well, that's the, that's the trap, right? Like the, I remember so much of the conversation during and after, uh, Obama's first, you know, Obama was first elected president, you know, talk in 2008 of like, oh, you know, well, maybe, maybe racism is close to over. Like we have a black president. Isn't that great? And it's, it's such a, that's the trap of it is, is it's a manufactured complacency of being like, oh, well, you know, this one thing went right. So clearly everything's fine now. And it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also that's also the mindset of people who don't live that that discrimination, you know. Yes, exactly. And the, the history of it and then don't feel it in their bodies, you know, that haven't right. inherited it. So like it's It wasn't it wasn't Black America saying racism was over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah, maybe we should uh, move on. Yeah. <laughs> so meanwhile, it turns out the parade is ground to a halt because Upchuck's swinger mobile has broken down. Uh, two policewomen are there to assist, and they are already short on patience for Upchuck's antics. So of course, when he hits on them in the figurative sense, they begin to hit on him in the literal sense. Uh, Daria and Tom watch in approval when who should appear out of nowhere but fucking Ted. Remember him from two seasons ago? Ted. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Taking photos for the yearbook. He grabs a shot of a surprise Daria and Tom and refers to them as a couple, which Daria is in the middle of heartily denying when finally out of nowhere, the Jane Lane approacheth. I just want to take one second here and point out that when Ted refers to uh, Daria and Tom as a couple, and walks away and Daria is denying that they're a couple Tom's delivery of I don't even go to this school is so perfect. <laughs> it's worth watching. It's pretty damn funny. Uh, anyway, uh, the Jane Lane approacheth. Uh, Tom explains that they've been looking for her all day. And Jane notices that, that means the two of them have been hanging out all day without getting into any scrapes. Uh, she suggests they all go to get some pizza to talk about the day's events. But Daria's lagging a bit, looking downright conflicted, actually. Uh, her inaction earns her an accidental paint shower from some Lawndale High art students working on a mural. She decides maybe her day has been action-packed enough, and she opts to just head home. Jane and Tom walk away, but not without Tom taking one last look back at our downtrodden, paint-soaked protagonist. A refreshed and energized Mr. O'Neill wanders by to remark on Daria's school spirit. She is, after all, bedecked in Lawndale blue and yellow. We then go back to the Morgendorfer residence, where hours have passed, and Jake is still in the bathroom still desperate for some toilet paper. And that's the end of the episode with Frida's I Know There's Something Going On, interesting choice, uh, playing over the credits. Well, well, well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What should we talk about first? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, actually, yeah. So the the parade, see what I did there, of self-reference uh, continues. With Good job. The, yeah, thank you. Sometimes I write things. Um, The parade of self-reference continues with Ted, goddamn Ted, who we met in the god-awful The New Kid, 
uh, season two, episode seven. So, um, you know, a little over, very little over two seasons ago. Uh, and we actually mentioned him earlier in this episode <laughs> uh, as being one of the examples of violence <laughs> happening uh, in and around the the, the Morgendorfer uh, circle. Right. We also, act two sort of raised the specter of police brutality uh, and then shows us an example of it blatantly in act three, but it's against Upchuck. So like, where do we, where do we stand on that? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it, it's Upchuck getting beat by two burly women. This show has a tendency to, uh, play this flipping of the script women's violence against men for laughs. Um, and I have to say that it's cathartic to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and while I, of course, don't come don't condone violence. Um, um, and especially violence used by a person of power against someone who does not have power. Um, the fact is that this kind of humor is, it's a solid step in recognizing that there is a problem. Um, playing with the trope actually helps people recognize the problem. So I, I'm not like completely against it, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I mean, there's a function of comedy, right? <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, and, you know, as this episode ends, we get that look back from Tom to Daria and, we've seen example after example through this episode of a tension between Daria and Tom. Uh, and it is, you know, now fully demonstrated. Uh, I think, you know, you have that moment of that inside joke about Tom laying his cape across a puddle or whatever for, for Daria. And, and Tom mentions it later on in the episode with Jane there. And Jane just looks on and goes like, what? Like she's not in on the joke that Tom and Daria now have. And it's, there's something just like mildly, mildly heartbreaking about that, (laughs) that moment. Perhaps I'm I'm speaking with too much context, but like, I don't know. There's something about the delivery of that, the confusion there. Um, It works really well to show that like, no, this is a thing that we're going to be talking about for a while. Like this is the start of an arc. Yeah, I um I agree that it's pretty heartbreaking and um it, it's just painful to watch because you know what's going on and what is possibly coming. Um and and I have something to confess. When we first met Tom, I was like, oh, it doesn't he and Daria get together? <laughs> like, that's what I thought. <laughs> and, you know, I thought, oh, yeah. Um, but then I was like, wait, no, I guess I misremembered that. I guess it was that he got together with Jane. And now I'm thinking, I've seen this episode. <laughs> um so yeah um you know it's funny how the how memory works isn't it (laughs) (laughs) um i will i 
I will struggle to not spoil anything any more than I already have. Uh, Don't I will just spoil say that, anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will just say that this is this is not the last of the Daria Tom Jane tension that we're going to see. Right. I am deliberately not watching past you know each episode that we talk about. I'm so thrilled about that. I don't is, turn into you. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I have to say that I'm excited to see what comes next. You know, this is this is like a a real conflict, you know, that the Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 got emotion. It's um, you know, like Daria and Jane's relationship is is a rock, you know, and and now we're seeing that there is, um, you know, uh, know, there are cracks here (laughs) forming and, and it's really disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) Mom and dad are fighting. Um, Oh no. (laughs) So this is, you know, one of the, one of the things that I was so excited about when we started this season in particular was, and I mentioned it, I've, you know, it's a, it's a dead horse. I've beaten enough times already, but the, the sense of continuity, um, of a timeline of an actual like series of events, instead of just episode by episode by episode, you can watch them in any order. Um, season four is where this show starts to acknowledge its own history, which we see it all over the place in this episode, like, you know, tons of callbacks. Um, and by by admitting that you are a a serial a serial piece of media that by uh, by letting your background inform you know informing the episodes that you have now and not just assuming that everybody is coming in totally new to your program with every single episode um, by allowing for that then you open the door to stuff like this you open the door to more complex interactions you open the door to uh, to, to conflict, like you said, you know, and like this episode, if you don't have all the history that you have between, like you mentioned, like between Dari and Jane, if you don't have that history there, this episode doesn't mean anything. This is, you know, it doesn't mean anything that Tom and Daria seem to be getting along a little bit more than they should, because we don't necessarily have the history of like, well, you know, you, you got to remember that Tom and Daria fucking hated each other for a little bit there. You got to remember that Daria and Jane are, are, you know, solid as a rock, like you said. Um, I mean, we're so reminded of these things, but. Oh, sure. Um, but like to have that background lends to um, the tension that that exists throughout the entire episode, not just it, it's not just something you realize towards the end, right? Right. Um, and also, I think like you make a good point about um, acknowledging that you're um, that the series is serial, um, <laughs> but I I but I also think that we have to acknowledge that um, the this is the benefit of having of knowing you have a following that you have a consistent yeah. audience base that you can do something like this this is not something that you know every 
cartoon <laughs> is <laughs> is is allowed, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. A cartoon for for teenagers to adults. You know what I mean? It's it, it's not really a it's not really a medium for a demographic that like we're used to, you know? Right. Right. It's the difference between understanding all of the relationships involved and being told that those relationships exist. So like there's a, there's a version of this episode in a bizarre universe where we've never met any of these characters before. And so it relies on like, Jane having to drop in some exposition to Daria in the beginning, like, oh yeah, you know, I was supposed to meet Tom, my boyfriend here, and and I didn't see him anywhere. And and you know, you have to sit there and talk about like, oh yeah, Jane, you've been my friend for so many years, and yada yada yada. Um <laughs> it's the difference between like having to be exposed to all of that and already being invested in that and already understanding yeah. those relationships and understanding that these very little moments, like the fact that um, the fact that Daria smiles over the Pol Pot joke with Tom, like that's a big moment. And if you're not invested in these characters, if you aren't invested in this series, you don't understand necessarily what a big deal that is uh, when you see it. Yeah, but you're just being told. Yeah, <laughs> but if you're us, or you're you're the fandom for the series, or you're you know you're one of the fan fiction writers or whatever, you're seeing that and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> it's such a, there's weight to that and you don't get that weight without being able to acknowledge that the show has has a lore has uh has an established you know background to it and it's you know there's a reason that we're only really seeing this sort of thing now and we didn't get to see it through the first three seasons and it's because the show gives a shit about that now uh and yep. it's using it to its advantage yep also i i can't, I just love drama. I can't help it. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, do we want to get into our cultural context? We really should. Yeah. <laughs> Last week's news of the death of Chadwick Boseman frames Jody's moment of realization in the parade in a somehow even more powerful light. Jody's frequently talking about the importance of what she represents in Lawndale and the pressures of needing to be the picture-perfect black girl in an overwhelmingly white and relatively affluent town. When she's lamenting her role in the parade, it's not much of a stretch to consider that this is the show telling on itself. After all, the writers clearly realize there's a problem with underrepresentation, but go ahead and count the named people of color characters in Daria uh, <laughs> in a show with a named cast of more than 50. You have Jody, the Langdons, Mac. Tiffany, Ms. Lee, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's important to talk about this because representation matters. Uh, in July of 2017, USC Annenberg released a report on inequality in 900 popular films from 2007 to 2016. Uh, the report's findings were discouraging. Unless you're a straight white man, 
Hollywood doesn't have much interest in representing you. Uh, in a country that is 40% non-white, researchers found white characters made up nearly 71% of all characters in the 900 films they reviewed. Uh, of the top 100 films in 2016, only 34 depicted a female lead or co-lead, and only nine had any female LGBTQ characters. Um, we're not going to dive too deep into the statistics because it's a very extensive report with a whole lot to say, but it's worth reading, and we're going to link it in the show notes. I wonder how many of those films that depicted a female lead actually passed the Bechdel test. That would be interesting. I wonder if that's covered in there. Hmm. I need to, to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, one paragraph toward the end of the report sticks out though. Um, and it reads like this. Year-to-year, advocates and activists clamor for greater inclusion in popular movies. As this report indicates, that demand has gone unfulfilled. Despite the money, time, and energy invested in creating awareness or equipping filmmakers for opportunities that do not materialize, we have not seen change. Unfortunately, until content creators and companies adopt evidence-based solutions to exclusionary hiring and casting practices, it is unlikely that anything will. The problem is more than just a lack of diversity among those we've, we're seeing on screen. It's one of white male-dominated power and influence of prejudiced hiring practices and of lack of recognition. It's how Joker gets 11 Oscar nominations, including one for Best Picture, and the portrait of a lady on fire gets shut out entirely. Which is some hot bullshit to me. (laughs) me. Um, (laughs) To bring this back to the Daria universe, this is part of why Jodi's upcoming show could be such a groundbreaking thing. We've mentioned before, it's being executive produced by Tracy Ellis Ross uh, with head writer uh, Grace Nakenge-Edwards. It's going to be the first animated series in two decades to star a black woman. Um, To go back to a little bit earlier, it took a full decade and 17 movies before the Marvel Cinematic Universe produced Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman became the first black actor to lead an MCU film. The first female-led MCU film was Captain Marvel, which was 21st in line. It'll be nice to hear what Jodi has to say about that or what she thinks of working in tech, which is an industry notorious for being dominated by white men. In short, we're excited. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Uh, and there are, we we have a couple of conversations to have uh, both on air and off air and with the community uh, over the next couple of months slash year or whatever. And how we'll actually be covering, first of all, the movies. We have to figure out if we're going to cover the movies in one fell swoop and just do like one super long episode or do two, you know, normal length episodes. Um, but more importantly, for covering Jody, I have a reluctance <laughs> uh, for, for being a prominent voice in, in how we actually cover Jody because I don't know necessarily that a straight middle-class white male is the voice that needs to be heard in discussion around that show. So I would love to bring someone else in and, you know, maybe sit in the back seat or play like third wheel to that kind of thing. I, I do, we're going to end up covering it one form or another. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Of course. Uh, it's just, you know, what, what form will that take? Uh, what voices get involved? 
I guarantee you I'll have things to say about it, but they, they won't be informed by, by the experiences, uh, that will, that will be behind the production of that show, you know, and, and, uh, and I'd really love to have that represented and, and, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. Like that, that's a, that's a much larger discussion to be had over the coming, like I said, months to maybe a year, but. Oh, yes. Yeah, just to put it out there, and and if you have any thoughts on it, please, please, by all means, reach out. You know, if if yes. if, if you know, uh, I'd love to hear from folks on this. Uh, I think with all of that, we might be ready to move into our episode rankings. Oh my, yes, yes. Let's get to it. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, other than the cheesy line from Tom, you know, and the strange occurrence of the um, cheerleaders and that float, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a really solid episode. Yeah, it's a solid episode. It feels like an important episode. Not in the in the grand scheme of things, like you know, you wouldn't necessarily look at this as like, oh my god, everything changed this day. But like, there there are interactions here that will clearly be the foundation for uh, for some conflict going forward. Um, and it was all handled really well. You know, I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier in this episode where we talked about how there's a lot going on here, and Weber really didn't miss on any of it with right. you know, the, the exceptions that we talked about. I, so I, I look at, at Jacob Hearts at number 18, and I think this episode is definitely better than that one. To me, I'm looking up toward... I'm actually looking up toward Murder, She Snored. I'm trying to figure out if this episode is better than, than Murder, She Snored. I feel that it is. I, I feel that it is as well. Um... I, <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that I look, I'm looking up at Jane's edition. Wow. I know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. But I'm wondering like, okay, so Jane's edition was when we met Tom, right? Yes. So... I'm wondering, like, do we like this episode more than the episode when we met Tom? I think this episode is a better representation of basically everybody involved. <laughs> right. Right. And, wow. And it, it, like it writes the characters really well. It's it's very – not only is the um, – are, are the characters well written, but – the plot is measured. Um, it um, it doesn't have these moments where I'm questioning the the characters' motivations or or their actions. Like in Jane's edition, I was like, "What the hell is Jane thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> But but here, like I'm like, okay, everything makes sense here. Of course, you know, Jake is being Jake and and I and I do question, you know, his <laughs> lack of motivation from <laughs> you know getting out of that bathroom, but <laughs> he's being Jake. Um <laughs> Right. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think I might like this more than Jane's edition. So I will, I, I don't actually disagree with that. I actually, I, I <laughs> got caught up. I got caught up in looking up. And I remember I did this last time we covered, when we covered Jacob Hearts. I remember I did this last time. I looked up uh, the episodes of Buffy that Dan Weber wrote. Because he only wrote he, oh. he only wrote two episodes of Daria that I'm that I'm aware of, and he only wrote two episodes of Buffy, and the two episodes of Buffy he wrote were Lovers Walk and The Zeppo, which Lovers Walk is is one of those show is one of those episodes that like a lot of the fans super love it um, because it really it digs into uh, you know Buffy and Angel and how they'll uh, I think the line from Spike is you'll never be friends. Um, because it also digs into Spike and and his uh, he's heartbroken because Drusilla left him and it's a whole thing, um, yeah. But it's it's phenomenally done and it's so good. And then the Zeppo is like it's low key one of the best episodes of Buffy uh, because it centers entirely on Xander and it's it's not it's not a great episode because it focuses on Xander. It's a great episode because it is. It's on Xander with like blinders on. So like this apocalyptic thing is happening in the background. Um, and like Buffy and the rest of the Scooby gang are all attacking that. And like there's this giant fight in the library and everything. And Xander has no part in it whatsoever because he's <laughs> off settling his own conflict, which also happens to be like an enormous thing. Like he, he uh, somebody was going to like bomb the school. I think if I remember correctly, like somebody had planted a bomb in the basement of the school and, and he managed to, to settle that and in a way end up saving all of his friends because it would have gone off like right under them. Um, but anyway, uh, there, there are two very, very well done, uh, episodes. And in a way, each one is, is a little bit like they're both very character centric, right? They're, they're both very devoted to the characters in them. They both handle those characters extremely well and they're both in their own way, kind of pivotal. Um, lover's walk is where, uh, Buffy and angel realize, you know, shit, you know, spike is an idiot, but he's right. Like, this is not, we can't be a, this is not a friend thing. This is never going to just be a friend thing. Um, and the Zeppo is a great episode for Xander, uh, kind of coming into his own a little bit in terms of confidence and in terms of, of realizing that he's not just there to get kicked around by everybody. Um, and you know, the character of Xander is plenty problematic or whatever, but anyway, sorry. Um, the point is, <laughs> the point is, is that this is not, you know, just some fluke. <laughs> right. This is the, this is the kind of thing that Weber does. He, yes. he, presents you with strong characters uh, doing things that aren't outside of their wheelhouses, like doing things that make sense for them. He just does it well. And it's all, it's very solid. And it's also stuff that, you know, ends up reflecting onward as, as the show progresses, even, you know, beyond his influence, like the rest of this season will build in some part off of what happens in I Loathe the Parade. In and of itself, I Low the Parade is not like a groundbreaking episode of television, but what it sets up is pretty important. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, I, I think reflecting that in the rankings is is good. You know, I think you you know, I looked around Jacob Hearts and I was like, Oh, is it better or worse than Jacob Hearts? And, and you kind of cut right to the quick. You're like, look. <laughs> 
And I think I think that's right. And I think, you know, as an episode of Daria, I think this actually is better than Jane's edition. I have trouble All putting right. it much higher than that. Okay. But but I think, you know, six would probably be a solid spot for it. I really enjoyed Sweet. this thing. Sweet. I did too. I really like this episode. Like yeah. Yeah. I had a hard time not I had a hard time stopping myself from watching the next episode. Oh man. <laughs> I know. Uh hold hold on to that. You got you you've you've got to hang in there. <laughs> uh all right. So that gives us I Low the Parade in at number six, uh just under partner's complaint, just over Jane's edition. That's higher up than I thought it was gonna be, but I also think it's well earned. You know, it's <laughs> it's a surprising spot to me, but also you know, yeah, there's there's not a lot to not like in this episode. You betcha. All right. And that about wraps it up for this episode of Morgadorks. Uh, check out our Patreon. You can sign up at patreon.com slash Morgadorks uh, for a buck a month. You can support our silly little mission and listen to an unedited version of each podcast a few days before it airs. This one might be particularly long. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. As always, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Morgadorks. Email us at Morgadorks at gmail.com or check out our new website, anchor.fm slash Morgadorks. Uh, we're also on Facebook. That's over at fb.me slash morgandorks.podcast or just save yourself some time and search for Morgandorks. We'll show up. We're the only thing called Morgandorks. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Outpost Daria Reborn. Link is in the show notes. And as always, thank you, Nissa. Thank you, Rob. Yay. Yay. And thank you, listeners. Yay. We will see you again in two weeks for season four, episode seven of Human Bonding here on Morgandorks. Dorks.